Before we start the episode this week, it's important to remember that The Wealth Journal is here for purely educational and entertainment purposes. It should not be considered financial advice, and before making any form of investments, I recommend that you do your own research, or better yet, speak to an independent financial advisor. Now, with that out of the way, let's get cracking. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Wealth Journal podcast with me, Jay Hardy. Uh, this is episode 28. It's good to be back. Um, I've had quite a few guests on the last couple of weeks. So obviously, Jan from the Global Returns Project and Nathan from Hargreaves Lansdowne. Huge reaction from the Wealth Journal listener, which was really great to, great to hear. I know you, well, a lot of people enjoyed those episodes. I hope you did too. And um, yeah, I did personally from a personal level, just to to learn a little bit more about what, what they both both do and the advice that they have. Um, so yeah, it was hugely beneficial for me. And I guess part of the reason why I did this podcast is that without this podcast, I wouldn't have been able to have them conversations. Um, I don't think, you know, the, the actual, the podcast itself has allowed me access to those conversations. And then I've then in turn been able to share them with you. So yeah, that's what it's all. That's what it's always been about for me to try and educate myself, and also share that with the Wealth Journal listeners. So hopefully, you took value from them from them conversations. If you've not listened to them, then I suggest you go back to listen to episode twenty six and twenty seven. Now, bit of a confession: I was on holiday last week, so the pages of the Wealth Journal are looking a little bit bare. I spent some quality time with the family, um, but I do have a couple of points that I wanted to share as my break did give me time to reflect and also do a little bit of reading. And I've just finished uh, Morgan Housel's The Psychology of Money, which is a great book. Um, if you're struggling to invest, maybe you're not very good at saving, you just have some general hesitations when it comes to investing, uh, especially when it feels difficult to do so. This book really delves deep into sort of, you know, how our minds work when it comes to money, how to manage the emotions, the ups, the downs. It's really good for that. Um, not not technical in any sense. Um, all the examples are very easy to relate to. It's a great book. I'll give it five stars. There we go. Um, probably one of the one of my favorite favorite investment books um, that I've read read recently. So check it out. And Morgan Housel. He's got a huge amount of experience. He used to write for The Motley Fool. He's a former columnist for The Wall Street Journal, which is the second most famous journal after, yep, you guessed it, The Wealth Journal. Uh, and he's a partner at The Collaborative Fund, which helps entrepreneurs raise capital. So he's very much, he knows, he understands wealth and he's a he's a perfect guy. And actually, yeah, I'm trying to get him on the podcast as well. Um, but I recommend you read that book. Point two, I'm following on from that. The psychology of money made me think a little bit about habits and practicing money habits because it got me thinking also about uh, James Clear's book about atomic habits, another good book I would recommend. And one of the quotes that resonated with me from that book is that habits and forming positive habits are a little bit like trees and growing trees and developing a good habit is like cultivating a tree from a seed. It takes care, patience, time and importantly, realistic expectations. And this equally applies to building wealth, in my opinion. And a number of my research sources pretty much preach the same thing. Building wealth takes time. The power of compounding takes time. And a lot of the time, the real power of compounding, the real benefits are not received until the end. That's when you get the biggest gains. So all the work you do now, all the little things that you can do, whether it's reducing your expenditures, saving and investing a little bit more consistently, 
um, you know, sticking with the markets will actually pay off in the in the long term. But we tend to want to rush. We tend to try and, you know, push and have higher expectations for money. And I think that's where we get into the dangerous cycle of investing in areas that are a little bit more risky, um, things that we expect to have bigger payoffs. And in some cases, that can actually lead us to to ruin. And that's one thing you really want to avoid. You want to avoid losing all your money. You want, to, you want to avoid investing in something illegal that can maybe send you to prison. That's one of the key things. We want to avoid that and stay on the long and patient path towards wealth. Charlie Munger often gets asked, how can I get rich like you? And what they really mean is how can I get rich like you, but faster when I'm not 90 years old? But unfortunately, I think wealth can take time. And don't get me wrong, people can do it quicker than others. And I'm trying to figure out the the best and the quickest way, um, but without without going to ruin. Point three is about goals. I sent a tweet out earlier this week that having a goal is 1%. Having the process and systems in place to achieve that goal is the remaining 99%. And I've been guilty of this. I've been putting too much weight on the goal and less on the process and the steps to get in there. So what I'm thinking really now going forward with the podcast is I've had ambitions in mind in terms of I want X amount of downloads, I want this many listeners, I want it, I want to, I want the podcast to allow me to drive X, Y, and Z. Actually, how can I get there? What are the main things first, which then leads to that goal? Same with building wealth. Another point from that book isn't I want to have a million pounds. Don't think, don't think like that. Actually try and become the habit. Instead of I want a million pounds, I am wealthy and then work backwards. I think that's a good way to look at it. So what's the main lesson here? Well, it's obvious. You need to follow me on Twitter. Check out my tweets. Don't have a huge amount of followers, I'll be honest, but um, I'm trying to be a bit more active in that space and just sharing what sharing what I know. The next point is point four, which is uh, crypto. This week, um, I read a bit of news about the, the UK government. They're planning to First of all, mint their own NFTs, which was interesting. And then also they would like the UK to become a bit of a crypto hug, a place where crypto can can continue its journey of innovation, which I actually thought was quite interesting. And for those who think crypto and NFTs are a fad, um, it just shows that how, how quickly the space continues to move on, despite a few of them concerns. I think really what's exciting is still the underlying technology. Yes, there are some crypto projects, there are NFT projects, which... Our fads, our scams, you'll always get that. But the underlying technology and the UK government has clearly recognised that and quite a lot of governments around the world have. And they don't want to turn their back on that, at the risk that potentially they, they miss out on what could be could be the future. The, the next thing I have on the crypto topic is that I was reading an article from the Times newspaper, which basically went through the five crypto myths. And I just wanted to highlight some of them and, uh, give you my thoughts because I've spent a lot of time researching crypto. I've probably been now in the space for around about 12 months, um, learning quite a lot, speaking to a lot of people in the space as well. Just also through the podcast, um, I was speaking to a company this week that actually utilizes blockchain technology as well. So yeah, stay tuned for that. And um, yeah, I thought I'd cast my own opinion on some of these some of these misconceptions that they, they identified. And one was that all cryptocurrencies are the same. And that's, you know, that is a misconception. They're not. There's many different ones. I think there's around about 18,000 cryptocurrencies out there, 300 million active users. They're all very different. Bitcoin is different to Ethereum. Um, 
they a lot of them utilize different blockchains a lot of them utilize different ways of uh, verifying the transactions on the blockchain so if you hear somebody say oh it's stored on the blockchain that is a very broad term there are different blockchains um so they they are all very different so i agree with that the other point was that high returns are very likely which of course isn't true high high returns are not likely when it comes to crypto and if you're listening to this podcast and you've listened to me talk about crypto maybe positively and thinking that you can go and make loads of money out of crypto, then yeah, some people have done that. Um, but I wouldn't say it's highly likely. And in most cases, it's actually probably unlikely. And therefore, my approach to crypto is to always keep it as a as a certain proportion of my portfolio and a proportion of my portfolio that I'm willing to, to lose. I want to have an allocation towards crypto I believe the technology will continue to do well and continue to grow. And I don't want to miss out. But at the same time, I don't want to be overexposed into crypto. That's just my risk profile. For you, it might be different. The next is that all stable coins are backed by dollars. Now, over the years, there has been demand for some form of cryptocurrency, which is less volatile than the traditional Bitcoin, Ethereum. And something called a stable coin was developed. And stable coins basically almost act a little bit like a digital version of the dollar or digital version of the euro. And in theory, they're backed one for one with a dollar or a euro. So that means the price pretty much stays consistent. It doesn't go up or down. It's just the same in the same way that a dollar or a pound or euro in your pocket stays fairly consistent. You know, removing inflation for now. And it means that you could pretty much convert your fiat money, so your pounds and dollars, into cryptocurrency, for example, Bitcoin. If you wanted to sell your Bitcoin and take some profits, you could do that in the form of converting it into a stable coin, particularly if you wanted to rebuy into the market. It allows you to be a little bit more efficient and benefit from the efficiency of, of digital currency. So that's why stable coins were, were created. And the theory is that they are all backed one for one by the underlying currency that they represent. That isn't always true. They're backed by different things. Some of them could be backed by corporate debt and you know all sorts of different things. And that's where the risk comes from certain stable coins if they're not backed one for one. Um, because, well, if that corporate debt, for example, goes completely to the pan, then it could affect the underlying value of the stable coin, loses its peg and crashes, and therefore you lose you lose money. So, yeah, I agree with that. Not all stable coins are backed by dollars. That is true. Um, point four is the blockchain is safe and secure. Now we know this isn't true. People have lost money on blockchains. Uh, certain blockchains have been hacked. There have been certain instances where, yeah, uh, some blockchains have been complete scams. So it is important to, to know that this, this does happen in the industry. Um, but what I will say is that, and I think the, 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 the times newspaper, um, is trying to probably group all blockchains into this, which is what, where I do disagree um, to say that some blockchains, yeah, it's true. Some blockchains I'm, are more susceptible to certain hacks. And I would say that the ones that are less decentralized than the others are certainly more susceptible. If we take Bitcoin almost as, as a shining example of a blockchain, which is actually very strong and secure, that's because there's a huge amount of validator nodes that operate Bitcoin in order to validate the network. Hundreds, I think almost hundreds of thousands now. If you wanted to hack the Bitcoin network and effectively, you know, put through a false transaction, you would need enough computing power to hack basically 51% of that network, which is massive. Think about 
hundreds of thousands of computers all verifying Bitcoin transactions, you would need the power of of pretty much, well, certainly over half of those computers, which is massive. And But then the way the Bitcoin system works is that if you have that much computing power, it's actually more rewarding for you just to mine Bitcoin and process the transactions with that power rather than try and um, disrupt the network. So, yep, some blockchains can be can be hacked. If there's less nodes, it's easier to do a 51% attack, as they call it. But for blockchains like Bitcoin, uh, I think that's that's quite unlikely. Um, so yeah, want to be, want to be aware of, and think of, think of the blockchain, like sticky amber. If a fly flies into sticky amber and gets stuck there, okay, it can still move around a little bit. Um, it's not completely like setting like concrete, but over time, as more amber gets laid on top and laid on top, it becomes less likely that fly is going to escape almost to the point where it's pretty much impossible, but it's never really fully set but it becomes less and less likely over time. So, and then the final one is crypto is anonymous. Well, yeah, that's not true. And the final one is crypto is anonymous. Yeah, that's not true. Crypto isn't completely anonymous. And there's often the misconception that crypto is used purely for criminal activity and it should be banned should be outlawed because of this and that's pretty it's a pretty naive approach of of looking at it because pounds and dollars are used for criminal activity probably more so than what crypto is and crypto isn't anonymous a lot of it actually exists on a public blockchain you can see all the transactions of bitcoin ethereum and a lot of other different blockchains as well. And actually, there's quite a lot of famous case studies where the FBI and Silk Road is a good example, the former dark website where you could buy illegal things off. Um, so I've been told. His, um, you know, they caught the the guy who set that up, Ross Ulbrich, was, was pretty much caught through what the FBI was able to trace via the blockchain. So it isn't completely anonymous. Yes, some criminal activity will happen. That's But that's basically like saying mobile phones should be banned because... People use mobile phones to to coordinate crime. It's true. I don't think you'll ever get away from it. Criminals will always find a way to exploit certain things. I think we just have to live with that. But it has actually given crypto a bad name probably from from the beginning. And yeah, whether it'll shake it off, who knows. But one thing I will say is that there are a lot of scams in the world. And crypto is, is, is no exception to that, particularly NFTs. And I've spoken to a lot of people who are experienced in the NFT world that have been scammed and have been scammed quite recently. When you have a, when you have a wallet, when you have sort of control over your own crypto, um, you know, it's not currently regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority. You are susceptible to scams and it's very rare that you'll probably be able to get your money back or refunded or anything because it's, it is decentralized. And the, the FCA's advice on crypto is don't invest any more than what you're willing to lose. In, in other words, be prepared to lose 100% of your investment when it comes to crypto is, is their advice. And I can't really dispute, dispute that here on the podcast. Um, so just be aware of that. And when it comes to NFTs and navigating that space or even NFT on Twitter, pretty much avoid clicking any form of link, um, avoid links, avoid giving out seed phrases. They'll try different ways to try and get, to get them from you. Um, and 
I think it is a barrier. It's something that the industry probably needs to to get right and help clean up. And um, yeah, but just be mindful of that. Just be mindful of that. And, um, you know, certainly my investment approach probably has tra- changed a little bit. I was very bullish on Bitcoin and crypto. Uh, and I still remain that. But the last few months, I have been a little bit more cautious. Like I've said on the podcast, I've been focusing more on building my rainy day fund. Um, I've been putting probably more of my investments towards some of the ETFs. I actually, yeah, portfolio update here. I actually topped up some uh, S&P 500 positions in the last couple of weeks, um, as opposed to, to crypto, even though that market's been down as well. And I think I'm probably going to be focusing my crypto portfolio in the in the region of 10, 20%. Uh, I know people that are 100% crypto, which is fair play. We've all got different risk profiles and yeah, I'm, I'm, in some ways I'm convinced that they'll be, they'll probably be richer, um, and, and wealthier than, than me, even in probably less time, but Hey, we're all, we're all different and fair play to them if that's the case. Um, so yeah, I'm still bullish on the industry, but, um, yeah, that's sort of how I'm approaching things, things at the moment. Uh, and I'm just very aware of some of the conversations and, and learnings that I've had the last few weeks with certainly for a couple of guests that I think the space will be exciting. But there's also going to be some projects that maybe might fall to you know, fall away um, and some will some will succeed, others will fail. And I think it's very difficult for, for people to identify exactly which ones maybe over the next 10, 20, 30 years will be the ones that stick around for forever. Um, so yeah, that's that's been my approach. And that's pretty much it from the Wealth Journal this week. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, I promise to bring you more guests over the next few weeks. That's something that I'm working hard on, as always. Uh, Let me know what you think of this episode um, and just of the Wealth Journal in general. Please, of course, if you can follow, subscribe. That really helps me track new users. And um, yeah, I'll speak to you again soon. Take care. 